Um, everybody has notes? Okay. Uh, my father-in-law doesn't have one here. And I'm not sure if uh, everybody, please make sure you have notes. We go a lot through a lot of scripture. I want to make sure you follow me. So um, we gonna continue. This is our third week talking about the power that we have in the name of Jesus. And so far, we just have been talking about one thing only, one power only that we have in that name, and that is salvation in the name of Jesus. Amen. Two weeks ago, we started with. Uh, Somebody help me out here. We started with, well, that's good. I can go back and preach the same sermon. <laughs> yes, we started, the verse was Matthew 1, 21. You shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Amen. Salvation in the name of Jesus. Last week, we spoke from Romans 10. 13, whosoever calls upon the name of Jesus, the Lord, which is Jesus in that context, shall be saved. Amen. Today, we're going to keep talking still about salvation in the name of Jesus. Our text is from Acts chapter 4, verse 7 to verse 12, when Peter said, there is no other name is given among men by which we must be saved. Amen. So Acts 4, 7 to 12. Just in case you're not familiar, the context here is this. Uh, there was a lame man at the, at the gate of the temple. Uh, Peter and John were going in. He was looking at them expecting money. Peter looked at him and he said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazareth, stand up and walk, right? So the guy stands up and walk, and everybody in town in Jerusalem it's like, what is going on? And the Pharisees and the leaders bring the disciples and they start questioning them. Amen? And it's like, don't ever preach about the name of Jesus. And that's where the context here of Acts 4, 7 to 12. When they, that's the leaders of the nation of Israel, the Pharisees and the high priest and the, the, the top guys, had placed them in the center, that's the disciples, they began to inquire. And this is the question, by what power or what name have you done this? How did you make this lame guy walk? Verse 8, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By his name, this man stands here before you in good health. Amen? That's a good verse right there. Amen? Amen. Verse 11. He is the stone which, you, uh, which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. Amen? For there is no other name under heaven has, has been given among men by which we must be saved. Amen? There is no other name is given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. This is what we're going to be talking about today. Salvation in the name of Jesus. I want to highlight like three points in that verse, verse 12. Number one. We're going to talk about that the name of Jesus is given to us, right? That's what Peter said. There is no other name. What happened? Given among men, right? 
So we're going to talk about that word, that the name of Jesus is given to us. Number two, that the name of Jesus has power to save. Because Peter said there is no salvation in any other name. Salvation, the power to save, is in the name of Jesus. Amen? And point number three, that the name of Jesus is the only name that has the power to save. So let's say these three points together. Make sure you guys follow me. Let's read it together. Number one, the name of Jesus was given among men. Number two, the name of Jesus has the power to save. And number three, the name of Jesus is the only name that given by which man can be saved. Amen. So let's start with the first thing. Peter said that that name was what? Given to us. The idea of the word given here is that it was provided to mankind. God has provided the name of Jesus to the falling human race as the way by which we must be saved. Amen? Now, why would God provide that to you and me? Simple. You know why? Because you and me can be saved on our own, right? If we can be saved on our own, why in the world God will go out of his way to provide the name of Jesus for us to be saved, saved with? Amen? So God has given us that name, has provided it to us because we have no power in ourselves to get saved or to be made right with God. Amen? Let's look at that. Romans 5, 6. For while we were still what? Weak. Sinners is good, but yes, this one is weak. We had no strength, the Bible say. We were weak to do what? To save ourselves. We had no strength in us to save ourselves. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ got, died for the ungodly. We are weak, the Bible say. We don't have any strength to make ourselves right with God to save ourselves. Why? Because the Bible tells us that if you don't know Jesus, you're pretty much dead. We talked about this a couple of times before. Ephesians 2, 1. And you were what? Dead in your trespasses and sin. Colossians 2, 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. We are dead in our sin. Question to you guys. How much effort a dead person can do to try to change his or her situation? Exactly. And that's precisely what the Bible says. We are dead apart from Christ. We have no strength to save ourselves. And because we cannot be made right with God, God, because he's a good and gracious God, he has provided the name of Jesus for us by which we must be saved. Amen? Look at this. Every time you go out and ask people, you think you're going to go make it to heaven? Of course I'm going to make it to heaven. And the pretty universal answer is because I am a good person. People think I do a lot of good works, therefore I'm going to go to heaven. But look at this verse in, in Isaiah 64, 6. Look at how Isaiah described our condition apart from God. He said that we have all become like one who is unclean. Literally, Isaiah is saying, apart from God, because of our sin, we have become like a filthy thing. Literally, the idea in that verse is a leper person. That's what Isaiah was trying to convey to us. And if we, if you guys remember, when we talked about this before, 
when somebody in the nation of Israel will be struck with leprosy, they consider that as a type of sin. This person is unclean. He can't stay with the people. He has to be outside the gates of the, of the, of the, of the city. And even if somebody by accident, like a traveler or something, is coming into the city or going in, out of the city, that leper person has to cry out if that person is accidentally coming close, say, unclean, 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 I'm filthy, be away from me. And that's precisely the idea that Isaiah is saying here. This is what sin has done to us before God. It has made us unclean before him. We are filthy because of sin in God's eyes. Amen? But not, not only that. Now look at the good deeds that people rely on to reach God. Look at this. Isaiah said, and all, how much? All our bad deeds, right? All our what? Righteous deed. This is our good works, right? How many of them? All of them. All our righteous deeds are like polluted garment or filthy rags, the Bible say. And if you actually look at the word filthy in Hebrew, it, it, it literally means the word eda, which is ada, which is kind of like counting. It has something to do with counting. Because it's really related to when a woman has her period and the blood is touching a, a, a piece of rag or a piece of cloth, ceremonially, that is unclean. Not only that, but if a person touches that garment, then this person is ceremonially not clean before God, and that person needs to be cleansed before God ceremonially because God cannot come close to him. He is filthy. He is unclean. He touched something that is unholy. Amen? What is that? Yes, it's yes. Yes, exactly. So this is unclean before God. But look, the Bible doesn't say that our cheating and lying and manipulation and adultery and fornication is unrighteous and filthy before God. The Bible saying is what? All our good deeds are filthy before God. That means your prayer, your praises, your tithe and offering, you're going to the church, you're serving to the poor. When you do all good, these good things before God, God looks at this and says, you know what? This is defilement. This is uncleanness to me. This is filth to me. This is what people are relying on to approach God. God looks at the very best that man can offer and say, guess what, guys? This is nastiness, filth. I cannot come close to anything like that because I'm too holy and you have sin in you. So even though you're doing me good deeds because of your sin, I still cannot accept it. I cannot come close to it. It is filth to me. You guys see how we really truly need to be given a way to be saved because we cannot make it in our own. Our very best is filth in God's eyes. Amen? And not only that, let's, let's see how Isaiah said, We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like wind takes us away. Have you ever seen a dry leaf carried by a strong wind? Have you ever seen that? Right? Question. How much power, how much resistance this dry leaf can do in the face of a strong wind that just tossing it away everywhere that it wants? How much power, how much resistance? Nothing. Pretty much the wind controls that dry leaf, right? And that's precisely what Isaiah is saying here. He's saying our sin makes us filth in the eyes of God. We become filth ourselves. Our very best is filth in the eyes of God. And we are slaves to the sin that can toss us around anywhere it wants. And we have no way or no power to resist that. Amen? Do you guys see that? 
We need salvation from God because we have no power, no inherited power in us that we must be saved with. Amen? That's why God has provided to us the name of Jesus. When God saw that there is nothing in us that we can do to try to reach out to him, he reached down to us. How? Jesus. Amen? Jesus came from heaven. He went to the cross. He shed his blood. And because of that, his name now has the power to save filthy sinners like you and me. Amen? But not only that. Peter said that this name was given to men where? Under heaven. Right? Pretty much under heaven means under the sun. It's like, have you ever, do you ever know of a person living above heaven as in, in the physical world? No, right? So pretty much it's just a term that Peter is using here to say, as to all men, if you're a human being, alive and breathing, living under the sun, living under heaven, God has provided only one way for you to be saved, and that is through the name of Jesus. Amen? It doesn't matter what's your religious background. It doesn't matter what, how sincere you are. It doesn't matter how well you intend. God has provided one way and one way only. And that is the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen? But notice only he, the name was not given to men. The name was given among men. And that's a big difference. What's the difference here? What is Peter trying to tell us? Peter is trying to tell us that God is not this God who is so far away from us, so distant from us, and he just gave us a tool, an aid, a help, so we can be saved. But God himself came down and he dwelt among us in the person of his son, Jesus. Amen? And Jesus lived and tabernacled among us. He was not given to us. He was given to be among us. Amen? And Jesus lived like you and me for three years and after that, he went to the cross to die for your sins and for my sins. Amen? There is no other name that is given under heaven among men by which we must be saved except the name of Jesus. Amen? If you're here today, you don't know God. I have bad news and I have good news. Amen? The bad news is there is nothing you can do to make yourself right with God. The good news is God has already made it all. Amen? When Jesus came on the cross and died for you and me. Yesterday, I was just reading, and then um, I read that story about D.L. Moody. This is a very cool story. He was in the train witnessing to the person, uh, I'm not sure if it was the conductor or somebody next, sitting next to him. And D.L. Moody is one of the greatest evangelists of all time. And he was telling that guy that was he witnessing to, he said, there's only two letters that makes my religion, that's Moody speaking, makes my religion different than your religion, okay? So Moody's saying that to the guy who's him, whom he's witnessing to. And he, Moody said, your religion, to the guy that is not saved, spells it do, D-O, right? But my religion, Moody says, spells it done, D-O-N-E, amen? It's only two letters difference, but it's all the difference in the world, amen? Because Jesus has already done the salvation on the cross. All what you have to do is just repent of your sins. Quit trying to make yourself right with God through your righteous works. And just come and accept what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Amen? The name of Jesus is given among men, all men under heaven, by which we must be saved. But number two, the Jesus' name has power to save in itself. Now, what did Peter mean when he said, that the name of Jesus has the power to save. Some might argue that Peter here was referring to uh, healing. Because if you go back to verse 9, 
the elders of, of Israel were questioning uh, Peter and John, and they were asking, um, well, uh, Peter was saying, if, you, if we are on trial today for the benefit done for a sick man as to how this man has been made well. Now, healed or be, been made well in Greek, the word here is sozo. It's the same Greek like saved that Peter used, the exact same word in verse 12. He said there's no sozo, salvation in any other. So some might say, well, you know, maybe uh, Peter here was just talking about the healing that just took place. And he's saying that healing is only through the name of Jesus. Well, yes and no. Yes, because in the Jewish mindset, salvation is not just getting out of hell. Salvation is wholeness, it's healing, it's peace, it's eternity being with God. So yes, healing is part of salvation, but it is not precisely what uh, Peter was exclusively referring to here in verse 12, because in verse 11, he seems like he has changed the subject. Because if you go back to verse 11, he said, after he said this man was made well, verse 11, he is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which has become the chief cornerstone made by God. So now he's phasing out from just that healing incident that took place, and now he's talking about the messianic role of Christ that was prophesied even in the Old Testament in Psalm 118. That's a quote from Psalm 118. Amen? So yes, he's talking about healing as part of that salvation that Jesus can provide, but he's not just exclusively talking that Jesus can only heal the sick, and that's it. Amen? Jesus can heal the sick, but also he can save sinners. Amen? Now look at this. Look at this. We have been talking about this in the past, that there is salvation in the name of Jesus. Look what we have in the name of Jesus. Number one, salvation. Matthew 1:21. We spoke about that two weeks ago. You shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because there is salvation in his name. He will save his people from their sins. Romans 10:13. There's salvation in the name of Jesus that any sinner, whosoever calls upon the name of Jesus, shall be saved. Amen? But there's not just salvation from eternal, from eternal hell in Jesus. There's forgiveness of sin through the power of the name of Jesus. Look at this. Acts 10.43. Whoever believes in him, in Jesus, will receive remissions of sin. How? Through his name. Amen? 1 John 2.12, your sins are forgiven you. Why? For his name's sake. It's because of the name of Jesus that your sins can be forgiven once and for all. Amen? Look at this. Not just salvation and forgiveness, justification, washing, and sanctification can also be found in the name of Jesus. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. Look at what Paul was saying. Or do you not know that unrighteous, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicator, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminates, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I think the Bible is pretty clear. Amen? Amen? Literally for some good news, look at verse 11. And such, what? Where? Where? Question, what, what tense is that? Is that present tense or past tense or future tense? Past tense. What happened to these people? Who used to be idolaters, fornicators, adulterers. Some of these words like going to or orgy parties. That's exactly what that Greek says. You know, what, what happened to these people who used to be bound by homosexuals?
homosexuality. What happened to them? You were like this in the past, but not anymore. Amen? Why? Here is why. But you were washed from all that filth. You have been sanctified, but you have been justified by the power, how? Of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. Amen? Now think about this. Think about the power that is in the name of Jesus that take the filthiest of all. I mean, the sins that Paul was listing here. You cannot get any more wicked or filthy than this. It's just disgusting even to think about it, right? But see how powerful the name of Jesus is. We talked before that the word justified. You know what it means, right? Like to God as if you have never sinned in the first place. Just as you have never sinned in the first place before God. And we said that justification is way higher than forgiveness. Forgiveness means God forgives you, but you still remember what happened, right? Justification means God doesn't even think you sinned in the first place. Amen? Amen? Now look at the power of the name of Jesus. That take the filthiest of all sinners. Amen? That God cannot even come close at all. Amen? And it washed them, it sanctifies them, and it makes them so holy, so pure before God, that God himself thinks, oh, they have never even sinned in the first place. Amen? There is power in the name of Jesus to save. Amen? You guys need to get a little bit more excited about that than this. There is power in the name of Jesus to save. There is washing, sanctification, and justification in the name of Jesus. But also there is life in the name of Jesus. John 12, 31, this is what John said. But these are written, the whole book, the book of John is written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing what happens to you, you may have life. How? In his name. Amen? What John is saying here is this, the name of Jesus is so powerful. You guys remember a few minutes ago, we're saying that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and we are good as nothing to do anything to change ourselves before God. Amen? But the name of Jesus has so much power that it can raise you and me who are spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins and make us alive once and for all before God. Amen? I can't even help it but to say that lyrics of that amazing hymn. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Amen. Ye chosen seed of Israel race, ye ransomed from the fall. Hail him who saved you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. Amen. Let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball to him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. Amen. The name of Jesus has the power to save. This is good news for you and me today. Amen. All what you have to do is just do what we said last week. Call upon the name of Jesus. Amen. And if you're desperate enough to be saved, that powerful Jesus will come through for you and he will save you from every sin, from every wickedness, from every bondage, from every guilt. And you'll be a brand new person today if you just call upon the name of Jesus. Amen? Not only that, not only that this name is given to us, not only that this name has power to save, to forgive, to give life, to wash, to sanctify, and to justify, but the Bible is pretty clear that it's the only name by which human being can ever be saved. Amen? 
I think that's the main point of Peter in that verse. Three times he's repeating himself. Once and once and once again, just in case you're missing it. So he's keep emphasizing his point that there is no salvation in any other. He started that verse by saying, neither there is salvation in any other person. Amen? Not in Allah, not in Muhammad, not in Buddha, not in anything. There is no salvation in any other person. Are we clear? Amen? And just in case you're questioning that, he's saying, for there is no other name under heaven is given among men. Amen? Again, I'm not the smartest person. But when the Bible say no other name, that means what? No other name. It's just as simple as that. Amen? No other name under heaven. Under heaven. If you're living under heaven, this is applicable to you. Amen? It doesn't matter if you're in the jungles of Africa or you're living in the White House. Amen? There is no name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. The idea here must be saved. It's like this. If you're ever going to be saved at all, that's the only way by which you must be saved. Amen? It's like this. It's like you're in a building and the building is caught in fire. If you ever want to escape this fire, you have, you must use the fire exit. Amen? It doesn't matter how sincere you are. If you try to get through the walls, guess what? It ain't going to happen. There's only one way for you to get out of that fire and that is the fire exit. Amen? And in the same manner, the Bible says, every single soul in this world if, that lives under heaven has sinned against God, and God is a holy and a righteous God, and he's going to judge their sins, but because he's gracious and loving and merciful, he has provided that way, the fire exit for every single soul, that if you run through it, you will be saved. Amen? And that fire exit is the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Well, how about sincere people? That's the question that people ask you all the time. How about sincere people? I mean, if you're sincere, why should you be judged by somebody else's standard? Well, here's my thoughts about that. I'll give you three points that I was thinking about. Number one, uh, um, I've lost my thought. I should have written it down. Okay, uh, number one is this. Um, most people, when they say that there are uh, sincere people, they're not really, they're sincere about their being right rather than being truth. Sincere about the truth. You know, that's just my personal experience. Like, for example, I'll give you a bunch of stories to, to think about that. This one, when we were in Indiana, we had this Mormon kids, Mormon missionaries, who came to our place um, a couple of times. And I just wanted to witness to them. And if you know anything about Mormonism, they believe that God is actually has a physical body like you and me, and that he dwells on a nearby planet. And he actually has sex with all his wives. This is what the Mormons, Joseph Smith, preaches. Um, and God has sex with all these women, and he begets spirits that end up being gods and all this stuff. So I asked them, I was like, so they believe that God has physical body, bone and flesh. And I showed them that scripture in, 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 in John chapter 4, when Jesus said, God is spirit. And I told them, okay, so help me understand this. The Bible says that God is a spirit being. And Joseph Smith said that God is a physical being. How can that be right? How can Joseph Smith be from God and he's contradicting the Bible? He said, oh, good question. Give us a week. We'll get back on it. Great. Take a week. Next week, they come back and here's, what the, here's their answer. He said, they said, well, here's what we believe. We believe that Joseph Smith is a man from God and he's truly a prophet. And we ask you to pray about the Book of Mormon. They that, 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 that contradiction didn't even register. You know why? Because deep down, I think they're not sincere about the truth. They're not trying to reach what is truth. They're just 
sincere about being right. Amen? And the story can go over and over. Jehovah Witnesses. I'll give you a bunch of stories just to give you the idea. In front of the White House, they always have a stand there. And not too long ago, I was there. Now, Jehovah Witnesses are difficult to deal with. They're very smart in many of their arguments. But there's a couple of arguments that absolutely flat out against the scripture. Like, for example, they believe that only the 144,000 are born again. And there's the only one who end up in heaven. And everybody else is going to end up in earth. I don't know where they got that from. But the only times that 144,000 were mentioned in the uh, book of Revelation, they actually on earth every time. So, for example, I think it's uh, Revelation 14 or 7, something like that. So the 144,000 on Mount Zion, and then, every, and then right after that, the Bible says multitudes are in heaven. So for me, that's just, it's a simple argument. We're not going to talk about the deity of Christ or the existence of hell. We're not, we don't have to go through a million scriptures, only two, that the 144,000 were mentioned then. So I, I, I was telling the guy, so you're telling me that the 144,000 are the only people who are born again who are inherit heaven. But every time the Bible mentions them, they are on earth. But there are multitudes in heaven. How can you explain that? Can you please research that? He's like, no, I don't need to research it. I, I'm good. I, I'm not going to even look into it. Because he doesn't care about the truth. He just cares about being right. I mean, I remember when I spoke with the first Jehovah Witness in my life when I was in college. And this kid challenged me about the deity of Christ. I honestly was shaken to my core because they have some good points. Amen. And then I was like, you know what? I know mom and dad taught me that Jesus is God, but maybe mom and dad are wrong. Not because mom and dad taught me this way. That means that it's right, you know? So I went back and I wrote this 350-page paper on our website about the deity of Christ. It took me two and a half years, but you guess what? I wanted to know the truth. If I'm wrong, then guess what? I'm wrong. You know, it doesn't mean I'm right because mom and dad have taught me that. Amen. The story can go over and over. Muslims, for example. You don't even need to look outside of Islam to know that this is a falsy, wicked religion just on its face. I mean, if you just read the life of Muhammad and how many women he raped and how many people he tortured just because they didn't want to agree with him or believe that he's a prophet, the stories are extremely disgusting. This is in Muslim books. This is not Christian you know, spin on what Muslims say. This is what Muslim historians say. For example, I'll give you one story. Uh, Honestly, he will make these ISIS people look like angels compared to what he did. This one Jewish tribe, he butchered all of it because they're Jewish. He doesn't like Jewish people. He butchered all of them. He tortured this guy. There's a, a young girl, 17, 18 years old. So he kills her father and kills her husband. Literally tortured them. I mean, like, put heated iron rods in their bodies. That's, what, that's the kind of torture that I'm talking about. This is the prophet of mercy, okay? And then he rapes the girl and end up marrying her and you know, giving her for free, her freedom as her dowry and he, then she became one of her wives. One of her friends stood at the gate of the, of the tent because he were, while he's raping that girl, he's, she's 17, he's in his 50s, and one of his friends stood at the gate of that tent because he's so concerned that this girl might actually kill Muhammad because of the depression that has, she has gone through. This is the man. This is in Muslims' books. This is not Christian books. So people are not really being sincere. This is just my experience. People are not really just being sincere about the truth. They're more sincere about being right. Amen? 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 God has given light to each one of us. If people will follow that light, they will come to Jesus. As a matter of fact, the scripture tells us an example about one person called Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 who was sincere. 
The man would fast and pray and give to God, but he was doing it out of sincere heart. So the angel comes to him and he said what? Oh, Cornelius, your sincerity has ascended before God. God has seen all the money you're given, has seen everything you do, and thus you are saved. Amen? No, he said what? Because God saw the sincerity of your heart, therefore go call Peter and he will show you the way by which we, you must be saved. Amen? By which we must be saved. Because even though the guy was sincere, yet he is not saved. Amen? I mean, look at our incidents here. Peter is talking to the elders, the, the ruler of the nation of Israel, right? I mean, these people teach the law of God. And Peter didn't say, you know what? I don't think of more sincere people, more sincere people than you guys who should go into heaven, right? I mean, after all, you dedicated your life to teach the law to others how to reach God through Judaism, right? But what did Peter tell them? Tell them, there is no salvation in any other. It doesn't matter how sincere you are. It doesn't matter how hard you try. There's no salvation in any other except through in the name of Jesus. Amen? So number three points, I'm going to like run it by you. Number one, I think most people are sincere about... Um, being right rather than sincere about the truth. And number two, um, what did I just say? Um, I'm, I'm lost in my train of thought, I should have written it down. Number two is that, I didn't mention this before, but the logic that sincere people can get to heaven because they are sincere is actually faulty on its face. You know why? Because if people can get to heaven just because they're sincere, then the first people who should get into heaven, you know who? ISIS. And the people who did the September 11, you know why? We look at them and say they're terrorists, they're killers, and they are, and they're not gonna see heaven even in their dreams. But guess what, from their perspective, they're what? Sincere. Actually, they're more sincere than you and me, to the point that they're willing to die for the sake of their belief, amen? So for the, to, to say logically, hey, as long as you're sincere, you make it, then, then that's just faulty, absurd on its face, amen? And number, so here's the three points. Number one is that people sincere about uh, being right than the truth. Number two, it's a, it's a faulty logic because it doesn't even make any sense. Like the terrorists should go to heaven. And number three, if you're sincere, we have the example in the Bible that God will show you the way just like Cornelius. Amen? I mean, look at what is happening in the world right now. ISIS is butchering people right and left. And I just read the story to you guys how so many thousands of Muslims are coming to Christ, right? But there's so many mil millions of Muslims in the world. What is the difference? Why some are coming to Christ and some don't? Because those who are coming to Christ are sincere, but they're sincere about the truth. They're gonna go back and search why they're doing that. And when they find the truth, they quit. Sincere people, right? But some other people look at that and they just sincere about being right rather than sincere about the truth. So they just willing to find every possible excuse under heaven not to change their belief, amen? So that's my idea about sincere. There's no Bible for that. This is just my thoughts. Um, but number two, how about those who never heard? Somebody never heard about Jesus. Can I still die and perish without Jesus? The answer is yes. So how about people who never heard? Well, God is, has an answer for that. And you know what is God's answer to it? Two words, the church. That's God's answer to those who never heard. It's your job and my job to take care of that. It is not God's responsibility. It's our responsibility. Amen? God did this part. He sent Jesus. He died on the cross. He provided the salvation. And he empowered you and me with the Holy Spirit so we can actually get the job done. Amen? 
Unreached people is our responsibility, not God's responsibility. And if somebody's going to be judged for it, it is not God's injustice, it's us. Amen? Not a big amen here. Amen? Yeah, sometimes I look at the, much, the work that needs to be done in this world, and I wonder, like, what in the world the church has been doing for 2,000 years. But anyways, we need to get the job done. This is our responsibility. This is not God's responsibility. But the bottom line is this. There is no salvation in any other name given among heaven except through the name of Jesus. Amen? If you live in the jungles of Africa and never heard about Jesus, there is still one way for you to be made right with God, and that is through Jesus. Amen? It doesn't matter what's your background. It doesn't matter what, how sincere you are. God has given one name for men by which we must be saved. That is the name of Jesus. John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And whoever does not believe in the Son shall not see life. Do you see that? Whoever does not believe in the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am away. We talked about this before. Jesus said, I am a way, a truth, and a life, right? Yeah. No, he didn't say, I am a way, a truth, and a life. He said, I am that way, that truth, that life. No one, no one, no one, no one. You get that? No one will ever come to the Father except by me. Amen? Amen. That's it. There's no other way. So let's pray. Now that we talked about all of this, let's close our eyes and come to God in prayer. If you're here today and you don't know that you have eternal life, I have good news for you. God has provided the way for you to be made right with him.